Okay, the first time I met him was at my son Ben's wedding. I was standing outside this historic little church, Hopwood Christian Church on the Milligan College campus. We were there for the wedding rehearsal. Hopwood looks like something from a movie, set at the base of a mountain and on one of the endless collection of valleys along the expansive Appalachian mountain range. Now this was July of 2009 and it was one of those near perfect East Tennessee summer nights. Warm but not too humid. The sun was setting behind Buffalo Mountain with all of my family in one place for the first time in years. Alongside was my wife Amy and our kids and, and my parents and my brothers and their families and, and the Jim Bergen clan a soon-to-be new extension to our existing family. And then, up walks this young, buzz-cut, dark-haired man with hipster glasses. He had a warm, broad smile, and I remember him uh, having a good, firm handshake, something that my father had always taught me was the first and best ways to judge a man. The young man said, Hi, I'm Scott. And I thought to myself, oh, you're Scott Nickel, the kid who's going to be marrying my son and future daughter-in-law. Well, the kid did a great job officiating the wedding. One of the two top best weddings I've ever witnessed, in all fairness. The other one was the wedding of my daughter and son-in-law, officiated by Jim Bergen. But in all honesty, after Ben and Allie's wedding that July of 2009, I didn't give Scott Nickel a second thought until April of 2010, when I was asked to come to Colorado to interview for the role of men's pastor here at Flatirons. That was my second introduction to Mr. Scott Nickel. Only this time, I wasn't the dismissive father of the groom, giving little to no attention to the young pastor. No, this time I was getting grilled by the young and very intense teaching pastor at Flatirons Community Church and my possible future boss. Intense is the only word I can think of to describe that week-long interview process with the Flatirons leadership. And the most intense? Scott Nickel, followed closely behind by his friend and cohort, Michael Kane. These two pulled no punches and their skepticism about my abilities to step in and lead men's ministry, it was evident. That was seven years ago next month. The leadership ended up taking a gamble and hiring me. And for Scott Nickel and I, well, to use a quote from one of my favorite all-time movies, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Over the last few years, I have had the great privilege of doing life with Scott Nickel as my boss and my friend. We've squeezed a lot of life into the last seven years, done a multitude of retreats together, been to Uganda together, laughed a lot, talked a lot, and we've even yelled at each other a few times. Getting to know Scott has been one of the great joys in my time here on staff at Flatirons. Getting to see the unguarded Scott the unfiltered Scott, the full version of what takes the main stage on most weekends. Getting to see and hear the, the germination of an idea, 
an idea that morphs and changes and eventually ends up on stage and then witnessing once again what God does with that very idea. And getting to hear him scream like a little girl, like I did when I put a picture of a creepy clown in his office one time. Priceless. Which brings us to today, Scott's first time on Wake Up Call. Now, I've got to rub his nose in this. When I first gave him the first few podcasts, I was met with silence. Nothing. Not a word. For three weeks. After finally pulling him into my office, I point blank asked him what he thought of the podcast. It wasn't good. He didn't like the format, didn't like the monologues in the front end and the back end of the podcast, and I don't even think he was crazy about the idea of what we had for the name, Wake Up Call. Still, he gave me the go-ahead to launch this. Now that was in July of last year. We launched in August. By October, I started hearing from Scott regularly. Mostly whining, wanted to know when I was going to have him on as a guest. So... I let him sweat it out. I made him wait, but he was incessant. This is Dan Foote, men's community pastor of Flatirons, and today, after much pleading, my friend and boss, Scott Nickel, joins us for a wake-up call. The Flatirons Podcast for Men. So this is our first. Um, it is, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and I think we'll do this on a regular basis. Very, very irregular basis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call it uh, nickel for your thought. It's <laughs> uh, good. I never heard enough of those jokes. I know. As a kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I do want to talk about first. Um, you, you were you were like really upset that we haven't had you on yeah, yet. Yeah, I'm going to start with my bitterness. <laughs> That's where I want to begin. <laughs> yeah, and you know I'm kind of like the uh, the spurned lover mm-hmm. that because uh, when yeah, when we scorned. first we we you know Cole and I did the first two gave them to you. I didn't hear from you for like three weeks. No, I was busy, man. Well, it's it just like. I was going, he hates him. He hates him. I didn't like the first couple. Well, in the... Because it was Bruner, who I didn't think was very good. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't the most dynamic, those first few. Yeah. Um, Well, we were learning. I know. And, uh, but but I I loved when uh, I I pulled you in my office and I said, okay, I just got to know. You've had these for three weeks. That's right. I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like... (laughs) He was so nervous. I was just like, you hate him. You went, no, 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 no. I don't hate him. <laughs> and the voice went up at the end. <laughs> you know, when your voice goes up, you know, that's a lie. I don't hate him. <laughs> it was not a lie. I did not hate him. You're like, but you know, I don't know. And you had a list of things that you... Uh, Which I don't even remember. Yeah. Well, I do. I'm There's sure like you do. etched yeah. across my heart. Well, no. don't um, get on the carpet about it. <laughs> no, but what I love is that you listen to them now. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I always tell you, I, I talk to you... Uh, more about wake up call than just about anybody in the building. So I always I, I go ahead and just tell people you're our number one fan. You won me over. Oh yeah. And I want a t- <laughs> I want a t shirt or something. We need to get a t shirt. Yeah, some swag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
or maybe some like uh, banana hammock. Uh, yeah, yeah, with wake, wake up call. Up call. <laughs> <laughs> you have to look, wear. honey. This is what I got you for Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> the wake up call. It's more of a Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let, we'll get wake up call out of the way. Uh, tell me, are we recording? Mm-hmm. We're rolling. Yeah. Cool. So what's what's been your favorite wake up call? That when you think about, oh man, that that hit it. Uh, th- well, I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but I mean, I really love the one that that you had Vinny on. That that was cool. Yeah, you know, just to hear hear that that story through. You know, it's not often with one of your closest friends you get to just kind of listen to them talk about things, but you're not right in the room. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. to he- just hear him un- unadulterated, unfiltered, without me being in the room, his reflections on parts of his life and parts of his story that I was a uh, you know, kind of a key player in was kind of cool. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. um, trying to think, I thought, I mean, we just talked about this one just the other day, but I thought Sam and Tabby's that they did, uh, the other day was really, really good. And, and especially Sam's thing at the end where he talked about this thing that I told you was, I mean, so countercultural and mm-hmm. so distinctive where he talked about how two weeks before, I think he said two weeks or two months. Two months. Two months before their <clears throat> wedding, he's in, you know, the backseat of his future father-in-law's truck and he's thinking, you know, Tabby, my soon-to-be wife, doesn't belong to me yet. She still, she still belongs to him. Which she, is the reason, yeah. one of the main reasons for their abstinence. Right. Yeah. You know, so she, she's still under, he even said under his leadership and it won't be until he gives her away, till he walks her down that aisle and hands her over to me that she's then mine, you know, yeah. and I thought that's number one true. Number two, really countercultural, and number three, really powerful. Yeah. Know? So that that one really stood out to me. There's been a bunch of them that stood out. I've, I've thought they've been really good, man. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so we're done with that. Now let's just get into. I just want to talk. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is what we do. This is what we do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dan will say, "Hey, you got a second? And then an hour later, yeah. I walk out of his office. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Only with you, though. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> This is your spiritual gift. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's let's dig into just a little bit of who you are because people see you all the time up on that stage, and you guys, you I mean you guys, you and Jim are so transparent up there. But there's a part of you're on the stage. You've got this prepared manuscript that you've worked on all week, and you know it. It's a powerful part of uh, what happens here at Flatirons, but. Let's just talk about like one of the stories I want you to share that I I love. Let's go back to being a kid, and I don't want to I don't want to dig into like serious stuff. I want you to tell the story about when Brewster found your mixtape. <laughs> I love that story. It's because it involves your mom and yeah. So this would be circa nineteen ninety two ish. And you and you are how old then? So it's easy to remember my age because I was born in eighty. So that okay, me at twelve, thirteen years old. You're you know, a decade like baby that. too. Yeah, exactly. It's helpful because I'm bad at math. It's easy to remember my mine too because I'd be two in the story. Yeah. So this <laughs> is the reason I call him Young Cole. You know, yeah. I've reached this point in my life where I'm definitely not young. You know, I, I'm definitely not young. I there's all these whippersnappers around. So Cole being one of them. I um. So I. People say that the music that you will identify with the rest of your life is the music that you listen to between the ages of like, 
11 and 14. Yeah. So whatever that is that you listen to in kind of your middle school, early high school years is what you may branch out, but you're always going to come back to that as like home base. That's like familiar territory for you. That's where like the, you know, your heart will be tied to that. You'll yeah. remember those the most. And that has definitely been true in my life. So that means that gangster rap is <laughs> my foundational musical outlet. You yeah. Know? So, cause that exploded. If I get the timing right, I was in Dallas. I was an editorial cartoonist. I was doing cartoons about NWA. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is 89, 90. Yeah. 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 So, so after that was this, you know, famous album. We could probably look up what year it came out and that would, that would locate this time period called the Chronic Album by Dr. (laughs) Dre. And back then what we would do is instead of, you know, going to the mall and, you know, spending a bunch of money on a tape or this new thing that had come out in the pe- recent years called CDs. You know, we would uh, we would make tapes for each other and, and trade them. So if one guy got the Chronic album, we all got it. You right. Know? So so we and back then they made these big. Uh, they, well, they made these cassette tapes that you know would hold like four to six hours worth of music on them. So you could have like multiple oh, albums yeah. on one tape. And so on one side was the whole Chronic album by Dr. Dre and on the other side was all these just random songs a buddy of mine had thrown onto the other side and I think I paid him some money even to do this for me and um, there was just some some of the most foul you know gangster <laughs> rap songs you've ever heard in your life one song in particular called Freaks of the Industry which was just profane as you can possibly imagine I still remember all the words what industry was it about uh, was, was it that it, industry yeah well <laughs> it, it was any industry that you could imagine yeah so but centering around one specific act but um, so so I'm at this uh, it was called the junior high teen convention uh, at my home church in Lexington Kentucky uh, South and Christian Church and at the time they had just recently purchased uh, this farm next door to the church and there was still a house on the property and so there was all these like youth groups from all over the state coming to this thing and so our our youth group decided that we'll do a, what they called a lock-in uh, which is one of the worst oh ideas gosh, in yes. the history of youth ministry. Yes. Hey let's get a bunch of really hormonal teenagers together and separate the boys and the girls only by a wall, you a know. sheet, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and trust like the two youth leaders to like somehow keep everything in check all night long, you know. So we're at this lock-in in the in the basement of this old farmhouse, you know. And one of the specific rules was you don't bring any of your headphones. Back then, Cole, they had these things called Walkmans. Yes. So like yeah. right now, we're wearing headphones, yeah. but this was plugged into a, a thing that put a, a <clears throat> tape into it. Oh, you know? yeah. It was interesting. And so <laughs> I It looked like this, a big phone. Yeah. I've seen those in museums. Seen those? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm listening to that, that album, this mixtape, right? And, then, and so I'm breaking the rules. But there's again, there's like Brewster and nobody else in this entire lockdown. And Brewster's the youth pastor. He's the this youth time. pastor. So this is the guy who baptized me. You know, uh, you know, I still know him to this day really, really well. Um, so I'm listening to this thing, and there's this one specific song that's on, and it's the, and I'll be honest, it was the it was the sounds of two people having sex, bed squeaking, and all this. Oh, it's like, like gro- Donna Summers, uh, l- l- you know, love yeah, me, baby. You're or really dating yourself <laughs> now. Yeah, Cole, oh, Cole, s- Cole's like, what language yeah. did you just speak? <laughs> yeah, she just died like last year. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I'm laughing at this, right? 
<clears throat> and uh, my buddy, I, and this is one of those rare moments where I actually remember the guy's first and last name like you always do. <laughs> His name was Scott as well, McDaniel. Yeah. Uh, it's like, hey, what are you listening to? I'm like, you got to listen to this. So I hand him my headphones. He's this big guy. He just starts laughing really, really loud. Well, we're not like paying attention to what's going on. Brewster had walked into this basement room that me and a bunch of these dudes are in, you know, and he sees that they're they're these two idiots listening to something. And Headphones. It's, and it's apparently funny, you know. So he comes over and he's like, hey, give me that. You know, what are you listening to? And I'm going, no, 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 I'll put it away. I'll put it away. I'll put it away. I promise. I'll put it away. He's like, no, 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 hand me those, hand me those headphones. I want to hear exact now. In retrospect, had I really, you know, had my frontal lobe been formed, you right. know, I would have like ripped that tape like i would have taken the tape out just ripped it you know right back then you could take the tape out yeah, yeah. and you could wind yeah. it so anyway yeah. i would have just done something drastic like that and take whatever punishment was coming as opposed to what happened there so he, he takes the headphones he hits play puts them on and the look of disappointment just increases by the second you know and is just, he looking at you he's, or looking, he he's looking right at me just look right at me just this look of disappointment and he just takes it and just goes, I'll, I'll be hanging on to this for the rest of the weekend, you know. So this was like Friday night. So the whole weekend, I've got to suffer through, like, what is he going to do with that? You know, what's going to happen? <clears throat> and so uh, Sunday comes, and my mom comes to pick me up. The church is like two miles from my house. She picks me up, and I think, you know, she just greets me and, you know, hi. I hop in the car, and I'm thinking, I got I think, away I think with I it. I got away with this. <laughs> and we get like... You know, quarter mile down the road, and she reaches in. She's wearing like a trench coat of some sort. Like, it was really, I remember being cold outside, gray in Kentucky. You know, he she pulls out the tape and places it on the dashboard. And uh, again, this is one of those moments. Had my frontal lobe been developed, and I would have had grabbed serious, it and yes, out the window. Exactly, I would have had serious consequences for this, but it would have been better than what I was about to go through. She sits it on the dashboard, and I'm sitting there, and my heart just starts racing, like, oh, no. You know, this is not... Was it really, oh, no, that went through your head? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and I really, even looking back, I go, why didn't you just grab that tape and throw it out the window, man? <laughs> so she goes, you want to explain what this is? Like, oh, it's just, you know, I don't even remember what I said. It's just a, it's a tape of, you know, some songs. So we get home, and my mom says, we're going to listen to this entire album together <laughs> and she you know she puts it in to this you know this old stereo system that she had and yeah. we sit in the living room and i'm just thinking please anything but this i White cannot sweat. i cannot listen to this <laughs> with my mom and you'll have to edit this, but the first the first song that comes in comes on is a song called "Your D," and it's <laughs> it's this it's this woman singing "Your D feels so good to me." Like that's the first <laughs> lines. Out of the, is this on the Chronic album? Yeah. No, this is on the mixtape side of it, you know. And I'm just sitting in and, and I. Th she didn't make me listen to the whole thing. I think she was even like, I don't want, I to, do, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and so, in all honesty, that was like the worst punishment possible was to sit there and just have to listen to that with her. And 
then she's like, who did you get this from? You know, and I refuse to out my, you know, sure. my friends and all that. Kind of, well, I'm not going to tell you that. You can punish me all you want, but I'm not. <laughs> you I didn't go, you. it was Schwartz. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, yeah, it was brutal, man. It was brutal. I'm, it actually kind of, yeah, like right now, I'm even like a little bit, my heart's beating a yeah. little bit. It was awful. Yeah. It was awful. How old is Eli now? He's 11. Yeah. Yeah, and he asked me the other day, he wants an iPod, you know, and I was like, eh, well, I guess I'd have to to load the music he's the only kid in my house that like listens to any kind of popular music right now Landry's okay. not really into music and then the others are younger so yeah but yeah he's really into whatever's on the radio and stuff like that so, so. what does that mean I mean, as far as like what is on the radio now because I crap it's yeah. terrible it's all terrible because I mean, to every me generation it, all, says it that, right? sounds the same mm. it's everybody every guy sounds like he's in falsetto is, yeah. that, is that what he's listening so to like when Bieber football, and all that no when his football team warms up they have like this hype tape they'll play you know okay. and, and Eli remembers every word to every song so I'll see him on the football field like stretching like you know rapping to whatever it is or you know yeah. So that was a powerful moment, though, wasn't it? Oh, apparently, obviously. Here You're, I am, thirty-seven. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's well over a twenty-year-old memory, right? You know? so. I just I I love that because what your mom did, that's good. It was a good strategy, actually, on her behalf. Now, I would like to say that that forever altered my love for gangster rap, but it it has not. But what it 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 did do, it was it was a it was a creative strategy for how to discipline in that moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. so were you an NWA fan? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm, for sure. What, what town did you grow up in? Well, so most of growing up, fifth grade all the way through high school was Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. Prior to that was Dallas, you okay. know, for a couple of years in the hood. But at that time, it was Lexington. <clears throat> yeah, at that time, it was Lexington. Straight so, out of Lexington, motherfucker. Straight out of Lexington. <laughs> 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 yeah, nothing says gangster rap like horse farms, you know. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, one other thing, because... Um, I don't re- ever remember you sharing this from the stage, but when you got booted out of Christian Christian school. Yeah, I've talked about that. I mean, people know I got booted out of a Christian school. Oh, I know that, but what happened? Yeah, there was, and there wasn't like a moment, but there was this interesting dynamic where for two or three straight years, I was in trouble constantly. That surprises me. And the way, well, <laughs> it surprised them. And the reason why it surprised them was because in this Christian school, I had gone, uh, I did fourth and fifth grade, and then I skipped sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know. They bumped you up. They, they bumped me up. They, they moved me from fifth grade straight to seventh grade in one year, which in retrospect is like, that's a horrible time. Oh, yeah. To do, that's like the worst possible time yeah. to do that to somebody, you know. So, they made an assumption, whoever collaborated on this decision, my mom and the administrators, <clears throat> that... My value system was uh, academics followed by uh, friendships and reputation. What they miscalculated was that it was m- much the other way around. Right. You know, so that one of their issues with me was I was getting in trouble a lot in fourth and fifth grade, and they they recognized that it partly was because I, I it, school came easy to me. You were bored. I was getting done really fast with everything. Everybody else was still working on their stuff, and so now I'm jacking around with everybody. I'm throwing stuff. I'm making comments. I'm, right. I'm just being a disruptive, you know, <laughs> fourth and fifth grader just being a jackass and uh and so they think well we know what we'll do we'll skip a gr- we'll make him skip a grade he'll have he'll have this heavier burden and so he'll have to focus more and he won't be a distraction to everybody else won't get in trouble what they didn't account for was like i don't 
the reason I'm not, I don't care about school. Like, right. I don't care. It had always come easy to me. So it was like, so they skip, they skip me great. And then all of a sudden I have this, you know, reputation now that I don't want, which is you're the smart kid. You're the right. genius. You're a nerd. You're, you're not what we thought you were. All you're a kinda, year behind them. Yeah. Right? At that so age, a lot that's... of these kids remembered me from when they were fifth graders and right. I was fourth graders. So we were friends. But then I walk in the first day and I'm labeled as, what are you doing here? Well, I skipped a grade. What? what? You know, you must be a genius. You must be then like, I don't want that reputation. So I yeah. did everything I could to swing on the pendulum away from that reputation. So I immediately gravitated towards one of the things that happens in a lot of small Christian schools is they get um, these these kids who have grown up in these small Christian schools, but they also get kids who've been kicked out of public right. schools. So we had a preponderance of, you know, a handful, you know, of of these, the, you know, the seedy element <laughs> who've been kicked out of these public schools. And I went, that's my, those are going to be my friends now. Those are my so homies. That's who I'm rolling with, you know. So, so I gravitate towards them. And we just, you know, again, small Christian school, it's not hard to get in trouble. So we just wreaked havoc. We got in trouble all the time. And as those years went by, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, I got kicked out at the end of ninth grade. They, they would often do this r- really weird tactic with us where they would call throughout the day. There's about a dozen of us. They would call us to the principal's office. One of us would get called in first hour. The other would get called in the next hour, and then the other would get called in the next hour. Because you did something wrong no, or just calling they, you in? it was an inquiry. So it was like this inquisition. Oh, my gosh. And what they would do is they would sit us down. I remember this vividly. My basketball coach sitting me down and going, so we know that your friend Brian Shaw is, uh, and he was a couple years older than me, we know that he's dealing drugs. We know that. Like, we know that you know that. So we need to know who he's been dealing drugs to. We need, basically, they're trying to get me to yeah. narc, you know? Mm, sure. And, and every time, you know, I would sit there and just stone-faced, you know, go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Did you know that Brian Shaw was dealing drugs? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but the issue was, like, there's right. no way in the world I'm ever going to be that guy. That's yeah. just, even as a 7th, 8th, ninth grader, there's just no way in the world I'm going to be that guy, you know? So it's just like, I'll, you can take whatever you want away from me. I'm not doing that. I'm not out in my friends. And they would do this. They would try, they would bring in all of us and they would try to find a weak one. It was unbelievable. And sometimes it, and, and we got the feeling that it was all totally based on, there was no evidence. It was just like speculation. Yeah. So we knew that like, they don't really, if, if they really had that on him, they would just go get him. They would just go do something. They wouldn't bring in a, a 13 year old to testify in front of the, you know, <laughs> They're just trying to get one of us to break or whatever. It's Christian school. It's Christian school, man. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, at the end of that, my, what was my ninth grade year, they basically purged the entire school of, of all of us. Like that whole crew, we all got we all got kicked out. You know, So yeah. it wasn't like one thing. It was just like a bunch of things. That, so what cracks me up is that then you went to public school, right? Yeah, I went to and you graduated? public school, and I graduated from that public school, yeah. And then you graduated from public school, and then you go to Cincinnati <laughs> Bible to College. Bible College, which was like, yeah, I don't want to go back to Christian school. And did you ever get close to getting booted out there? Yeah. Probably. Well, likely. Yeah. I may not know how close I, <laughs> I got, you know. Because you were they doing— They have some rules in the rule book that I'm pretty sure they're because of me and some of my friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Christian colleges, they're just like no drinking, no, drinking, no smoking. Dancing. They still had rules on the book about no one-on-one dating, so you would have to take like a chaperone with yeah. you. You know, this is one of those schools that started back during, you know, the 20s when, mm-hmm. you know, fundamentalist institutions said, look, all the 
all the main institutions, the Yales, the Harvards, blah, 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 have all gone, they've all gone liberal and secular and all that kind of, so we've got to create our own. So it was out of a, a good intent, but one of the things that, that was true then was there was this kind of pharisaical yeah. event, you know, which it, that type of, um, you know, the more rules you give me, one of the things I'm going to talk about in this parenting series is uh, there's certain kinds of kids that the more rules you give them, the more they see that like batting practice. Mm-hmm. It's like you just keep throwing fastballs down the middle, I'll keep knocking them out of the park. You know, yeah. give me another rule, I'll break that one too. And that's how I was, you know, all the way even through college. And there's something about in that Christian education environment where the rules that they put into place they hold no value outside of the they're not real right they're not they're, they're arbitrary they're rules for the sake of rules oftentimes yeah. so those things like um going to milligan there's supposed mm-hmm. to be no drinking yep uh to, tobacco use yep, that was had another to, one yeah yep. and you know outside you know the gates of the campus there's people that drink and they they smoke and um so christian education doesn't handle this is what alcohol is. This is the negative effects of alcohol. This is why we don't want you doing this. Yeah. They just put the rule into place. They just put the rule in and expect everybody so, to conform. And what you do is you create either hypocrites right, yeah. or rebels. Yeah. You, you, create, you create people who go underground and do it anyway but pretend like they're not or people who are going, screw you. But you, Now that you said I can't do it, I want to, I want to do it. You know? At Cincinnati Bible College, was yeah. it, is it seminary now? What is it now? It was, then it was Cincinnati Bible College and seminary. So there was the undergrad, then there was the, post, the, the seminary. Yeah. Um, now it's called Cincinnati Christian University. Okay. Yeah. But um, when you were there, you didn't live on campus, right? I did the first two years. And yeah. then you lived at a house. Yeah, I tried to. I tried to be an RA after my second year. <laughs> we had this. Uh, we had this floor that again. Gave, everywhere I've ever gone, you know, this probably speaks to something in me. I don't know what that is, but everywhere I've ever gone, I I always gravitate towards, or maybe they gravitate towards me. I don't know what it is. Those who are typically labeled as like the rebels. Yeah. You know, the troublemakers. And so we had a whole floor first south, you know, in a restoration hall. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> they have the Campbell Scott wing. Yeah, that's an in, that's an inside <laughs> joke between me and Dan. Nobody else will understand it. But they uh first south was where we started out at and and uh one of the best stories of that is Allie and I were dating, you know, the end of our senior year of high school we started dating. So she goes to uh a liberal arts college in Lexington, Kentucky called Transylvania University. I've never heard of yeah, that. Transy. Uh, that's where smart kids in Lexington go. And uh, Is their mascot Dracula? No, they're the pioneers or something oh, like that. But okay. yeah, anyway, <clears throat> so she it's like the first week of school. I'm at this Bible college in Cincinnati. She's down in, in Lexington, and she decided to drive up to visit me like surprise visit or whatever so she had she had been there the day i moved in so she knew where my my room was and what floor and all that kind of thing well it's bible college there's no no women allowed that's in right the dorm i think you're only allowed in the lobby was the way it worked so there was an entrance ours was on the first floor so we had a first floor entrance and exit which came in very handy over the years for lots of things but um she, i'm sitting in in my room 
We Naked. Had, no, we, no <laughs> we, almost. We had a PlayStation 1 back then, which was like a big deal. So we're playing yeah. college football or something like that. Bunch of guys in the room with my RA, a guy named uh, Brian, who's a great guy, really cool RA. And uh, my buddy Ricky Grants, uh, who was only there to play basketball, only there to play basketball, and would uh, frequent the strip clubs across the river <laughs> all the time <laughs> in Covington, Kentucky. Yeah. Because if everybody remembers, the famous Hustler Supreme Court yes. event started in Cincinnati. So there were none of those in Cincinnati. So Ricky was hilarious, dude. He was a Catholic guy, and he was just there to play play basketball. And he was in his, he was in his uh, towel. And uh, he come out of the shower, and he hears this, like, knock on the door at the end of the hall. So Ricky wanders down there in his towel and opens it, sees my now wife, then girlfriend, standing there, who's pretty. Yeah. And Ricky's like, come on in. <laughs> She's like, I'm here to see Scott. And he's like, way to go, Scott. <laughs> so he walk, walks her down in his, in his towel to my room. And there's all these dudes sitting there, including the RA. He's like, hey, 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 man, there's this girl here for you. <laughs> and she walks in and I'm like, Hey, hey, what are you, what are you doing here? And like, the RA's looking at me like, what is going on? You know? So I'm like, yo, you can't be here, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a weird environment, man. So how did they regulate things when you lived off campus? Well, so I, my dad bought, so in Price Hill, which is the name of, oh. uh, name of the town in Cincinnati, if you ever saw the old movie with Michael Douglas, uh, Traffic, where his daughter becomes a drug addict, and he's like a federal judge or something like that. She becomes a drug addict. She goes on this, this like wild drug-induced bender, and they film the parts where she's roaming the streets in, in Price, Price Hill. Hill, Cincinnati. So it was, it was one of those neighborhoods that was a really nice neighborhood, back in the 20s and 30s and then it became this a brutally seedy <laughs> and rough neighborhood yeah and um so my dad bought this little house right down the street from the campus for like fifteen thousand dollars or something yeah. like that and then rented it to me and all my idiot friends you know and um saw it as somehow he thought it would gain value i don't know <laughs> after all of us lived in there anywhere between nine and 15 guys with yeah. one bathroom not including the backyard at any, <laughs> at any at any point you know and uh so they they the weird thing about that was there were all these administrators and teachers who lived kind of like around us and next door people worked for the school lived next door to us oh really yeah which is um that's when I accidentally shot the wrong person with the BB gun. Yeah. You've heard that story yes. before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the part I usually leave out of that story is that was heavily influenced by about a dozen rolling rocks. I <laughs> 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 shot this guy with a BB gun from the front front porch of our house. Rolling so, rock from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought I was drinking really like high class yeah. beer. That was my sure. perception of it. You know, it was like, oh, my buddies are drinking Bud Light. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm drinking stuff from Latrobe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they they would try. We we didn't get in too much trouble when we were off campus. I think it was one of those things where they. They were just glad we were off campus, yeah. you know. So, but I did try to be an RA. I applied because we had two really great RAs my first two years, and we kept this group like really, really solid. First South, blah blah blah. And then it was like those two dudes graduated, and then it was like, all right, either one of us has to be the RA, or we all got to get off campus, <laughs> you know. So they're all looking at me like Scott go for it you got leadership qualities or so, you know and it goes back to what my my third grade teacher told my mom 
I remember one of the few report cards I remember is I got this report card in third grade in a, the comments section. Yeah. You know, said like, Scott is a great leader. The problem is he leads everyone the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that has played out at different points in my life. And that, this was probably one of those moments where I was fully intending to do exactly yeah. just that. And so I applied and I got all the way to the, like the, where you interview with the resident director guy or whatever. You and know. then they brought your third grade teacher. Yeah. <laughs> like, to, welcoming to the stand. It's, um, and some other school administrators in there too. And they, but, basically just looked at me and went, did you really think <laughs> we would hand over the keys to First South to you? You yeah. know, it was basically like, nice try. Really? Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, we're all moving out. Yeah. And they're like, that's we, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Up on price, so we have Delta House. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fine. You can move out. Uh, just, it's just, it's funny that uh, I, knowing some of the stuff, if you were to do that in most Christian colleges, colleges, including Cincinnati Bible University, yeah. you get booted. I mean, if they knew you had one too many rolling rocks. Oh, yeah, that would have definitely, yeah. Yeah, definitely done it, for sure. Yeah. Uh, my brother got booted from Johnson Bible College yeah. for going out for beer and pizza after uh -huh. one yeah. of the midterms or something. Yeah, I, I had a really, and this is not a good thing, so I don't want to over-glorify being rebellious. I mean, I had a really rebellious spirit about that back then and it was yeah. one of those things where I didn't have this heartbeat of like wanting to be you know a bad person or a bad kid or a bad student or whatever it was it was just like my response to what I thought was you know a pharisaical way of approaching you know the institution was to right. flip my middle finger at it and do everything they told me not not to do I mean I remember <laughs> filling up a sports bottle with beer and drinking <laughs> it in class in Bible college you know what I mean yeah like, what kind of an idiot does that? What, what kind of point are you trying to prove? You're sitting in a class called the Gospel of Matthew, you know, and you're drinking beer. Rolling rock. Yeah, you're drinking <laughs> beer out of, a, out of a sport bottle, yeah. you know. Well, let, let's dig into that a little bit. So, because it's not just in, in college. You had that in high school, all the way back to third grade. At, now, at 37, do you look back and go, oh, I, I can see why... I did have that. Can you... Can That's I, that type of spirit? Yeah. Can you parse that out? Is it... You know, mm. and, and let me ask this. Do you look at your kids now and go, oh, I see <laughs> some of that in... Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely see that in, in my 11-year-old son and, and Eli. Like, the more you try to, <clears throat> you know, kind of... He wants an explanation for everything, which yeah. is definitely... That comes from me, which drives me nuts. It's like when your kids manifest the things... You know that you don't like about yourself, yeah. or that aren't great about yourself. Um, so there's he. He's definitely that way. I, I think it's just a part of who I am. Like I'm not a. I, I don't like a lot of rules. Yeah. You know, I I don't respond well in that type of an environment. I don't. As an employee, I don't respond to any kind of um, micromanagement. Right. You know, just let me let me roll. You know, mm -hmm. for good or for bad, let me go learn how to do things. So even in college, like, I've always been a reader. Yeah. But I didn't read the stuff that I was told to read in class. I would read stacks of books that nobody told me to read. I would go to the to the library or the bookstore and, and grab all kinds of stuff. Uh, so, like, you weren't uh, reading? It was No, I wouldn't read the assigned stuff, material, but I would go read all this other stuff. It was, again, my rebellious heart of going, I know better than you what I should yeah. be spending time on. You know, a lot of it was arrogance. A yeah. ton of it was arrogance. So let me ask you this. I'm just thinking about this. You're um, you're at the forefront. You're leading the 
kind of the charge for the school here yeah. at Flatirons. Yeah, yeah. And a big part of just structured education is rules and mm-hmm. regulations. Yep. Uh, lots of people. Uh, I mean, the re- the reality is you can't conduct corporate education without some rules and regulations. Right. Yeah. You got to have some. You know, otherwise people set fire to the desks and throw them through the window. Right. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you also don't want to be that pharisaical, right. you know, crew that. Right. And then you got nothing but a bunch of little Scott Nichols. Right. You know, rebelling. Yep. So how do you how do you balance that as you yep. look at this? Yep. The big shift for me was coming across this thing that I had never heard of called classical Christian education, yeah. which is very distinct from what commonly is just referred to as like a Christian school. You know, what I had experienced was what I think is the worst possible option for education, <laughs> which is to take basically a public education model and slap the word Christian on it make kids wear a tie and go to chapel, pile on a bunch of Christianese and rules, mm-hmm. and then, exp- so basically you take what what I would, you know, to use Jesus' words, you clean the outside of the cup, but you lean the inside full of dead man's bones. Right. So it's still this, this thing that's fundamentally flawed, in my opinion, and then you slap Christian stuff on it, which is the worst of all possibilities, right? So what Christian school, in my experience, did not aim for was the heart. Yeah. Didn't aim for the heart or any kind of transformation in the life of the child. It was conformity to rules, which creates, like we just said, creates either hypocrites or rebels, mm-hmm. you know. So it either it is this kid who just conforms on the outside, but on the inside remains totally unchanged and untransformed. They'll do everything you tell them to do, but on the inside, they're like, I don't buy any of this. Right. Or it creates a, a person like me who rebels. The the classical Christian model, ain't, now it's not to say this can't happen with classical sure. Christian schools because this all depends on how it's implemented, right? right? But the classical Christian model seeks to do exactly the opposite of that. The classical Christian model seeks the inner transformation in the heart of a child. There's still rules, but there's but the why is answered. Yeah, you know, the, it's not just obedience. What we're actually after is joyful obedience. Well, you can't manufacture that. You can't make that happen. So we, you have to approach it very, very different, mm-hmm. differently. You yeah. know, so, and it's also this educational model that says everything belongs to Jesus. Every realm you step into, every part of education. Science, history, music, math, PE, all of it belongs to Jesus, and it's all for his glory. And we have this good father who, who, who gives us these amazing tools, and so let's, let's, let's embrace these tools. Nobody ever told me that in a Christian school yeah. growing up. They were just called it math. They just called it science. And then we had a chapel once a week. Right. You know, there was no cohesive worldview. But Jesus' picture was in the front of the class, Jesus right? Jesus' picture is yeah. somewhere around there, and I know I'm not supposed to chew gum or run in the hall. or you Right. Know, um, so, so that's what I love about classical Christian education is that it's, it's this biblical worldview we're trying to impart to our kids at a very young age. That's the same thing with church, though, right? I mean, so many churches, yeah. they're going for the outer I want to make sure that you look and sound and act a certain way because that's what a, that's what a quote, redeemed lifestyle looks like right. as opposed to digging in and cleaning out. That's one, of the, that's one of the biggest refreshing pieces for me coming across Flatirons uh, back in Texas going, oh, man, I think there's no perfect church, but this church seems to be 
going after things the right way. Yeah. You got a couple of guys that teach, and they're just being honest. They're standing up there talking about their own brokenness. I mean, I know we've talked about this, but for me, sitting in Texas, l- having lived in that very, I'm going to say, there, there's a legalistic pieces to it, uh, just a really hard uh hard Christian environment in, in some ways. There are some beautiful people sure. in the midst of all that, but I mean, just that, uh, and I come back to the faith tradition that you and I grew up in, that non-denominational Christian church. But then to come across this, and I'm sitting there, the first thing that jumps out at me is when Jim and Robin, I'm listening online, and Jim and Robin do their testimony. Mm-hmm. And Robin's talking, you know, they talk about Robin curl up in a ball and between the bed and the wall and just saying, I wish I would die. And then she does her testimony and Jim stands up and he says, you know, goes on and says, standing in the door going, yeah, I, m- maybe you should, we'd all be better. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, who's, there's no that. pastor yeah. that says that. Right. And then you unpacking what you and Allie walked through and what you had, these dark feelings in your hearts after you guys had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And then for you to stand up there and go and share that you're, the dark side of your heart was when someone announced that they were pregnant, you're like, I wish they would have a miscarriage. And it's just that's just human nature. Right. That's anger toward God. But it's, tr- it's, it's truth, meaning you're speaking the truth of where you're at. And what happens is the audience every weekend sits out there and hears that and they go, what the T-shirts say. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Um, so that's that's good. Okay, let's go to because we're I, we want to keep this to about a half hour, mm-hmm. forty minutes. We always talk books and movies. <laughs> what's what's the best book you've read here? In, in the, I'm going to say the last year. Ooh, I know you read a lot. What's the best book you read in the last year? Well, I mean. <sighs> I'm a little bit biased right now because you know I don't know when this podcast will air, but you know right now when we're recording it, I'm I'm preparing for this parenting series. But yeah. there's this parenting book called Parenting by Paul Tripp that really, honestly, is the the best. You know, I've only read like three parenting books in my life, so maybe I don't have a wide enough swath to choose from. <laughs> but it's been really revolutionary, and the reason why it's revolutionary is because it's not a step by step. Do this when this happens. Like every other parenting book I've ever come across, or every other fad parenting strategy that I've come across, this is when your when your baby cries at night. This is what you do. When your teenager steals the car, this is what you do. You know, mm-hmm. it brings everything back to principles. You know, that says, look, if you don't under, if you don't have these principles intact, principles are the thing that direct your action when you're actually in the moment. If you don't have those, you're just doomed to be reactionary, which is the way most of us parent. We're just reactionary. Right. This happened, now I respond. And a lot of times our biggest regrets are the way that we respond mm, in the moment. That, yeah. That's definitely mine. So this book has been so helpful to me because it basically reveals the reason you typically respond this way has nothing to do with that child. It has something to do with you yeah. and your heart and what you're trying to get from that child. And so for me, it's just been really, really, I've had to read it a few times. Like over. Paul Tripp, why do I know that name? You know, he's a, he's a pastor. I, uh, I've spoken at a couple conferences that he's spoken at as well. And so we've, we've met before. And yeah. so he's, he's been around. I know. T R I P P. Yeah. I know. I've seen that name. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Best movie in the last year. Hmm. Last year or um, two. Fences. Oh, fences. that's right. Yeah. 
Fences is a movie with Denzel Washington. It's based on an old play, and uh, man, it addresses the issue of fatherlessness in a way yeah. that's just really, really profound, you know. And at the same time, Denzel Washington just does this amazing job in it because he directs it. He, he and he's the he's the main character in it, and he's in almost every scene. And the movie's almost entirely dialogue, so it's just fascinating yeah. to me that he was able to pull that off as well as he as he did. But it addresses this ongoing issue of fatherlessness and how it plays out, and how a, a, a son, even in in this case, this man's probably in his fifties. You know, well, he's a lot of ages in the course of the movie, but is still living out of out of how his father treated him. Right. And you don't realize it till a certain point in the movie where he tells this story mm. about his father. I read the play mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, I mean, I think when it, I'm trying to think when it came out in the nineties, maybe, mm. I mean, it was like, uh, like it won a Tony and even maybe won a Pulitzer or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's been years, so I can't, yeah. I, I can't remember, but you shot a text saying yeah, it was so I, good. I, yeah. Allie and I, you know, we don't get to go see very many movies, that aren't, you know, like I said, Pixar, you know, or yeah. whatever we, um, so when she and I get the opportunity to go to a movie, it needs to count. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so yeah. That one. could be such a crapshoot, oh, though. Oh, I know. Big time. Big so time. what drew you to just Denzel or? Uh, I saw a, a preview for it and okay. it fascinated me. You know, yeah. I saw a trailer and it, and it fascinated me. So I was like, oh, we can, we can do that. Let's go see that one. Okay. Yeah. Let's end on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes you the angriest? <laughs> that's a, you know you're trying to you're trying to mess with me a little bit because you know anger with me um and i'm only allowed to say like one thing huh well, you can no, this is we, we got no rules here well one of the big things that's been a struggle for me in my life is one of the things that makes me angry is when people carry around wrong thoughts in their head hmm. so, so so the problem with that right is not only do I carry around wrong thoughts in my head sometimes, so there's a pride factor in that. There's a lack of acknowledgement of the fact that I can do that. But is that everybody? The, everybody's always carrying around wrong thoughts in their head, and oftentimes they... Well, they, give me an example. You say wrong thoughts. like So I was thinking about it this morning. I got an email the other day, and I've learned this the hard way, where somebody was sent a really kind-hearted email. They had a couple criticisms, but they expressed them in, in the right way. And in years past... I would have, instead of just taking the tone and the heart of that email and and responding the way I just did the other day, I would have taken the two things that I disagreed with in the email and just hammered, <laughs> like explained ad nauseum why those were wrong thoughts. You're thinking wrong. That's right. not correct. And you need to, you need to stop it, you know. But instead, what I did was, was thank you. That's really, really helpful. I'm glad that you're here at Flatirons, all that kind of thing. Like, but I had to learn that the hard way, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I have this itch. When somebody reveals either whether it's a lack of logic or a lack of a biblical worldview or a lot, just it's not correct thinking, <laughs> it makes me angry. It makes me really angry. And so I feel like I have to wield the sword yeah. every time somebody thinks something incorrectly. And that's a very exhausting way to live your life. And you're a black and white guy. What's that? You're kind of a black yeah, and I white am. guy. Yeah, I am. Yeah. This is right. This is wrong. Stop doing the wrong stuff. Do the right stuff. This is this is the way to think. This is not the way to th- one of my I've told people for years, one of my rules here's my rules. Don't be dumb <laughs> and sleep with the person you're married to. If you'll do those two things, life will go well. Life gets way simpler. <laughs> it's way simpler under that umbrella, right? Yeah. You know, and I would amend that to go like follow Jesus. Sure. Don't yeah. be dumb. <laughs> and sleep with the person you're married to. And if you'll do if you'll do those three things, it, life gets exponentially simpler. I didn't say easier, but yeah. s- simpler, and I'm all for simple, you know. Yeah.
Okay, so what makes you happiest? Uh, my wife, uh, my wife, and uh, you know, just being home with my family. Yeah, I've talked about this. Like, uh, used to be, I would go on mission trips, even as a young dad. And when you're a young dad and you're really, really tired and things like that, a mission trip's actually an opportunity to rest, which just says how tiring being a, a parent is. Uh, but now, when I find myself, whether it's a mission trip or I'm away for whatever it may be. Michael Kane and I had this conversation. When you were in Africa. We were in Africa. You guys went just, yeah. what, four months ago? Yeah, back this past fall. And we're, we're on safari with our daughters. We're in Kenya on safari, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life, driving through this national park, looking at lions and, and, and you know, yeah. rhinoceroses and, you know, the whole nine yards. And, and I look over at Michael and go, hey, question. If, you, if there were a button in this land cruiser, that if right now you could hit that button and it would beam us like Star Trek style back to our home to be with the rest of our family, would you hit the button? And both of us looked at each other and went, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So even in the midst of that, like the thing that makes me most happy is just, just being home with my family. It really is. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. So we have, we have had you on. You yes. have been. Oh, you finally, finally have been. Finally, on. and and so it was good. And we look forward to having you back in another couple of years. A couple of years. <laughs> I've walked. You know what makes me most angry? What? <laughs> Not being invited to speak on the Wake Up Call podcast for men. months. <laughs> months have gone by. All these other men who have lined up and and gotten to be on this podcast and and experienced this, yeah. and and you've just put me on the bench. Yeah. You, you sat me aside. But I told you from the beginning I was going to do that. Remember that? You did, but even when you create exp- helps, you know, you're trying to you're trying to manage expectations yes. with me. But yes. I can still have hopes, Dan. Yeah. I can still have hopes and dreams, and I had hopes that maybe you would acquiesce and allow me to be on the podcast. And it has taken until the year yeah. 2017, the year of our Lord, to, <laughs> to, to let me on. Well, the I look forward to 2018. <laughs> <laughs> When we first started looking at doing this men's podcast, in the research, we, we found out that there's this list of do's and don'ts. At the top of that list was this, don't launch with your organization's leader or leaders. It will set up the listeners' expectations around the leader instead of the podcast itself, which is the main reason why I've kept Scott on the bench for so long. But that was fun. A lot of like what happens when I amble into Scott's office for one of my regular, quote, five-minute conversations, end quote. A part of me wishes that we had Scott on Wake Up Call sooner. A part of me, like, I don't know, my pinky toe. I'm kidding. No, we'll have Scott back soon for another installment of Nickel for Your Thoughts. It's much too fun to pass up, and I can only tolerate so much of his whining. Next week, we kick off a new series, Rites of Passage, looking at what we can do and what it looks like to mark our children's childhood in a way that sets them up well for early adulthood and for leaving home, to be strong, productive leaders in the kingdom of God. We'll start with the author of The Man Maker Project, Chris Bruno. That probably is, like you said with the laying of the tile, probably one of the only spaces that I feel like I ever had with my dad yeah. with regards to some kind of um, 
you know, water on dry soil uh, of, with regard to masculinity and, and any kind of rites of passage. Right. From then on, um, I think he did still help me drive a little bit, but it was pretty much, okay, you got this. Join us next week. This is Dan Foote for Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men. <laughs>